the genuinely interested podcast. Frankie, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks a lot for having me, Roy. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time today. Yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, I kind of found you on Instagram and that's uh, for me being a, so I used to be a little bit of an amateur photographer. I really enjoyed it. Nothing became a career and I didn't even know if that's something I, I necessarily wanted. I, I guess I kind of wanted it, but it just kept amateur. And the whole time when I was living out in the East coast, I was like, one day I'm going to move to Denver. One day I'm going to be in Colorado and I'm going to kind of see all the beauty because all the photos I was seeing was either Pacific Northwest or Denver. And I was always like, man, like I got to live out there. And now I'm living out here and sure. it's, it's pretty much as good as the photos <laughs> showed. You know yeah. what I mean? Are you from here originally or did you also kind of have that same rush where like I got to move out to Denver because it's so damn beautiful or not specifically Denver, but like Colorado in general? For sure. Um, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, originally. Okay. So like like many of the transplants out here, Midwest, uh, grew up in Ohio, super flat, you know, let's stay. There's nothing but farmland there. Um, but in college, uh, I went to Ohio State and uh, I was in ski club and we came out here. Um, we, we drove out on buses. It was a, the wildest setup. So we drove out on buses. There's a case of beer under every seat and we would come out <laughs> here. And, yeah, exactly. Um, and we came out here and that's kind of when I got hooked, um, hit, hit different ski resorts and kind of just really fell in love with the mountain culture and, and the resort towns. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's where I'm from. And, uh, that's kind of what got me hooked on wanting to move out here until I, I took a job. I lived up in Vail, Colorado for a number of years, mm -hmm. um, started a, a really crappy job with a, a, a hotel lodge there called the Lodge at Vail. And that's kind of how I got my my start out here in Colorado. I swear to God, every third person I talk to in Colorado is from Ohio. I shit you oh. not. It's not New York. Some, yeah, it's not California. It's, it's, it's oh, specifically Ohio. New York, Texas, but yeah, yeah, there's not a lot there and I don't go back very often. It's, it's a hard <laughs> place for me to recommend to people, but um, yeah, I'm a Midwest kid at, at heart. And that, that is one thing that you might have, in, like a lot of us have in common with each other is uh, there's like a funny saying that I heard when I first moved out. It's just like everyone heads West and like you hit the mountains and just kind of stop and that's yeah. the new home. So yeah, that, that definitely had an impact on me. When did you move out here? What um, what year? Um, so I finished college in 2010, and um, the job market, the basically the everything was kind of really pulling back. There weren't a lot of jobs. It was a time when people kind of moved home to try to figure things out. So I moved home for about seven months, and then took that job um, with Vail Resorts. Mm -hmm. It gave me a free ski pass and um, yeah, it kind of just gave me the ticket to drive out and, and see what Colorado was going to be about. Um, I didn't think I would be out here over a decade now. Um, but yeah, that was the start of, of moving out here. And then how did you get into uh, photography? Like that's something you had in mind when you came out here? Like I want to get into photography. 
No, not really. Um, I knew I liked, so the, the path for me is a little different. Um, I used to be into writing music and DJing a lot. Um, and I really liked the music scene out here. We have Red Rocks. We have a really thick um, electronic dance music culture. And that was one of the big draws to me, as well as the cannabis culture, craft breweries, mountains, snowboarding. So all of it was uh, a big allure to, to seeing what Colorado was about for me. Um, and I just, I was kind of lost and a bit directionless in life. So I just took a jump and, and took a chance to, to move up to Vail. And um, the, the camera really uh, made its way into my life when I was done with my time up in Vail. Um, I actually uh, left Colorado and basically traveled out of a backpack with my camera for 11 months, uh, essentially circling the globe uh, at some point. But uh, that was in 2015. So I, I spent a few years up in Vail, saved some money up there and decided it was time to try something different, hoping to find somewhere else in the world to maybe live or settle down. Um, and the camera was the one thing that kind of was my catalyst to uh, not feeling like I was totally drifting out there. Um, I was writing a travel blog and, and just kind of uh, slowly developing a creative routine. Mm -hmm. um, I started shooting a little bit in Vail. I would do astrophotography and was really infatuated with shooting the Milky Way. It's very dark in the Vail Valley, which gave me a lot of opportunity to get out um, and shoot stars and that kind of thing. But um, never really thought I would do anything with it other than it being a hobby. What are some of the, I mean, so you were kind of doing, not that digital nomad necessarily new, but it wasn't, I think, as mainstream pre-COVID. And then COVID hit and everyone was like, oh, I want to be a digital nomad. I want to work from Bali and still make, you know, 10, 20 grand a oh. month in the U.S. Was yeah. you think if you would have done that now, you would have kind of stuck to it because it was a little bit harder, right? Like all the tools weren't available maybe 10 years ago, which they are now. Like if you're a creator, if you're a solopreneur, pretty much every tool that you can think of from AI tools to non-AI tools are available for creators. And 10 years ago, maybe 10% of those were available or whatever the number is, much less. Sure. Um, I was on a quest to find a place where I felt like I really enjoyed the people and the place. Um, so I, I think to answer you, um, you know, it, I, I basically I'd listened to Tim Ferriss. That was a big driver behind yeah. um, getting out to travel more and seeing the world. So I was definitely hooked on can I make this work and um, threw myself at it full time and, and ended up finding that like living on the road, if you know how to work and do free things and it was actually less expensive to be out on the road than living in Vail, Colorado, which is an expensive place to live. Um, and I wasn't necessarily making a bunch of money. I, I was writing for a ski blog at the time and, and had like little gigs here and there, but um, in general, just kind of like trying to figure it out, trying to figure out, is, is this a possibility for me? Um, how can I make some money off of writing blogs or, or trying to mix photography into it? Um, I don't, I guess it was in same thing, like on a quest to like maybe settle down somewhere else and, and live elsewhere in the world. But then like, um, had a lot of impact. Um, and I just, felt really pulled to come back to Colorado. The people here are special. Mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of just drew me back in terms of like, it felt like a second home to me. You know, Ohio's home, but I, I felt very 
uh, in line with the lifestyle here. Yeah. So it was more organic. It wasn't like, oh, I have this goal and I want to achieve it. And doesn't matter what I'm going to achieve this. It was just kind of like, let me go on this journey, see what comes. And then it kind of, I think the right thing probably fell in line because your photos are, are fucking amazing, man. And it's so funny uh, that you met, that you mentioned Tim Ferriss because back in New York, I had a at a startup that I had a CPG company that I ran for a couple of years. And right before I had, and right before we started it, my co-founder at the time, he was working at a bank and I gave him the Tim Ferriss book, the um, nine to five, I forget exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And he read it. And within a week he quit his job. Cause at the time he was like, you know, I I, I should still work like this, but he just read it and went all in, quit the job. And then for the next three to four years ish, that's all we did. So that's amazing. Like the fact that he's got so much power where people yeah. quit their jobs, people go on a journey, like you said, that's, that's super powerful, man. Totally. Um, I, and I think I, I had been hooked on like travel blog culture, like, and I was slowly getting on Instagram and like, I was like, I really, what would it, what would it take to get into this? So yeah, I think his book was a catalyst. Um, I kind of had friends scattered around the world that I could stay with for a week or two at a time while exploring near them to really cut expenses and cut costs. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, he he spelled it out in terms of, you know, you can, um, you don't have to always work your life away. There's other things out there and, and travel and um, having the camera at my side kind of started to uh, blend into building this dream of how can I make this work and and the camera be one of the main catalysts to uh, maybe making a career or trying to make money off of it. Were you an early adopter of Instagram? Because, excuse me, I think originally photographers, and I don't know exactly what year was the tipping point, but there was a tipping point. Originally, photographers kind of thought of it as a silly thing, maybe. Oh, this is something where teenagers put funky filters and and you know ruined pictures and then at some point they're like oh actually this is an amazing platform and i could as a photographer yeah. even if let's say i'm not like you know top one percent echelon photographers that they already have the work they're commercial photographers or fashion photographers or whatever it is this is actually a good platform and i can actually get seen and i can actually get work through this and i don't know what again what that tipping point was but there definitely was a tipping point. So were you kind of one of the original ones or were you a little bit, cause I was a little later to the game necessarily. No, it's funny to say that my, the post I put up yesterday was kind of like a anniversary post for me. It was my 1500 posts on the platform. I've been posting on there for like 11 years now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's funny to kind of go back and look at like, you know, my photography sucked in the beginning. I'm, I'm being real honest. Like it wasn't <laughs> good. Um, but it, it's always cool to scroll all the way and like see this evolution of, where where does it come from and like kind of how has my style developed and evolved over the years there were a few people that really hooked me into kind of what i do now uh chris burkhard being a huge yeah. influence of mine um there were just certain photographers that i really gravitate to ever changing horizon quinn yeah. um, is his name so there were some people that just like took it to this other level that um really hooked me on in particular the adventure photography space so I, I, you know, I think I've over the past couple of years um, have a real love hate relationship with Instagram, like many creatives do now with the evolution of short form video. And, you know, at the beginning, the, the purpose of the platform was photography. That was mm-hmm. 
how it was born. And um, it has come so far from that. But um, before maybe my love-hate relationship started, it's always been a great place to network and meet people. And um, having a community on there has been a big driver for me to kind of keep going and keep uh, pushing through the changes that I hate to say the A word, the algorithm is it's always out there. It's something we're always battling. But um, yeah, I think I like the platform. It has connected me with some amazing people. It has provided me amazing opportunities. So, um, you know, I might not be fully on board with it where it's at today, but I still post on there. I still get a lot of joy out of just sharing my work. And um, at the end of the day, just like connecting with other photographers and other people. Yeah, the algorithm sucks. It is, it's not, um, yeah, it's not user friendly. Like, I, if you know, the people that you mentioned, the Chris Burkhardt and Ever Changing Horizon and um, Jimmy Chin and, and all these yeah. other guys, right? Like, when I was, they were actually kind of my inspiration in a way you could say to come in because I, I came to the US nine years ago. I came and I studied photography for, for a couple of years and, you know, and I did this in New York and, but the, the type of photography I want to do was like what you're doing right out in Colorado, out in the Pacific Northwest, that kind of stuff. And like, the teacher was like, he was like, no, this, this, you're, you're not going to do this. Like, he was just like, you should, you should do commercial. You should do fashion, this, that, and the other. And I was like, all right, but like, that was what drew me the most. Right. And those guys were early adopters, like super early adopters. Cause at the time I think they already probably had hundreds of thousands of followers. So they caught on early, like, Ooh, I could actually use this platform to grow my name, to become kind of a celebrity in a way to create, you know, to get sponsored, totally. all, all that stuff. Right. They were way ahead of the game. But now if you're coming up, I don't even know how you do it. Like if you're, if, if, if you're, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, if you're trying to figure out a new path for yourself and you're like, you know what, photography is something I could potentially do. I love photography. It is so incredibly difficult for you to get seen the algorithm yeah. on Instagram specifically. I, from what I understand, TikTok, and again, TikTok is video, so it, it's different, but it's, uh, and I mean, it's essentially it's a spyware, but <laughs> forget that for a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like just to be seen, right? To have your chance as a creator, you have yeah. to work so much harder than they did back. And then not to say, I'm not trying to compare also, like they're very talented people not to take anything away from them, but it's just so much more, so much more difficult today. Totally. Um, I spend time, I do one-on-ones with people that want to come up and kind of beginner photographers, intermediate level. And I do get asked, like, do I need to be on social media to be a photographer? Or, you know, does that, is that have to be like, is that a badge or something that I need to verify that I actually do photography? And I think my answer kind of trends in two directions there. It's like, um, I think it's important to be on the space. It is how you get your work seen by lots of people. If, if that's the ability that you have, but then there are, there's this echelon of photographers who they're so um, dedicated to the commercial side of their business that they don't spend any time on social media. It's not a distraction for them. It's not taking away from their workflow. They don't, they're not checking stats, likes, followers. They're busy grinding on their commercial work. Um, and there's a there's a bunch of guys I know, even here in the Denver area. Um, Adam Bove is one I'll mention. Um, and his work is just remarkable. But like, and he's actually from Ohio too. It's, it's his Shocking. work isn't centered. What's that? 
Shocking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, his work isn't centered around what he does on social media. So I think it's really separate him from he's not an influencer. That's not he's the guy charging. And I don't I haven't spoken with him personally about a numbers, but like 10, 20, 30 thousand dollar photo shoots. He's not doing one off influencer deals. Um, so, you know, my answer to those new people coming up is I think it's important, but it's also important to just like focus on your craft. Um, the, the art must come first for you, the, the dedication you have. And, you know, you mentioned TikTok and, and now we have Instagram reels that we're battling with the, the people that continue to push their name forward. Um, even if they are just a photographer they're they figure out a creative way to kind of, uh, play the algorithm, but still like get tons of views and lots of growth on those platforms. So all the power to them. Um, I think it is an important place to establish your name. Uh, it, it is kind of like if I'm bidding on projects or trying to work with a brand or a company, um, I have some email tracking that goes on and they click through my Instagram. Like I know they're looking at it. And it, it is this other layer of like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. So um, you, you can still make it without, without social media. You just, you have to be really good at your craft. You have to be really artistic. Um, it's a flooded, really saturated space. Everyone wants to be a travel or adventure photographer now. So you just, you got to stand out. You got to kind of separate yourself from the crowd. And, um, it, I have a real love hate relationship with social media lately. I, I spend a lot of time creating both off the platform and for the platform and, um, yeah, we're, we're all scraping to reach new audiences, but even just tapping into our own audience again. So, uh, a long answer to say, yeah, I think it's important, but, um, one thing for me that was super important in the beginning was just like getting out to chase, chase sunrise, chase sunset, and kind of, uh, building this creative routine around failing and and the grit behind waking up super early to go into rocky mountain national park and chase an epic sunrise and mm -hmm. conditions are terrible but i'm still in there and and that was what i fell in love with not um not chasing clout or followers it, it was this and it's still in me i just like, love to get outside i love to be in the mountains uh it's had a huge impact on me it's um yeah it's kind of gotten me to where i'm at today yeah i'm <clears throat> i'm in the same boat you know and like you said earlier, you've been doing this for 11 years. Originally, you sucked, right? The photography wasn't good. You yeah. kept at it, repetition, <clears throat> excuse me, honing your, your craft, and then you become better, right? And I think that's true for anything. But initially, to put your stuff out there when you suck, ooh, that's a little scary, right? Because you're going to get some nasty comments or even like potentially worse, you get zero comments and zero likes and you're like, oh shit, like oh, no one cares, right? It's not even like the yeah. bad comments, the bad comments, at least sometimes you can, they can kind of fuel you. But when you get nothing, yep. when there's just crickets, it's like, oh, okay, that's not good. No one cares about me. So that's why, yeah, there's this definitely like, I, I completely understand the love hate thing because on the one hand, I completely understand the power of social media as a tool. It's unbelievably powerful. More nothing we've ever we've never ever seen anything like it. The the, the reach that you can potentially have. That I put out a mm -hmm. video or or a picture, and within twenty four hours I could go viral potentially. Right? I don't, yeah. but I could potentially. And then so. <laughs> Why wouldn't I use that? That's a very powerful tool, right? Especially with all the different platforms. If it's TikTok, I can create videos, YouTube videos, Instagram pictures, videos, Twitter. It's a, I, personally, Twitter is probably my favorite. 
just because of the way you you have to kind of just okay. an idea into like so many characters, right? Which is it's it's not easy. Um, it just I don't know. It just for me, it's it's probably yeah, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, I would put Twitter one. But then on the flip side, it is that constant need for like. <sighs> Give me, give me the pat on the back that I need, right? Or, cre- or, or, or people yeah. that are just not in real life. Like all they're doing is creating for the web, and they like, you know, we're all always on our phone. So it is that. Like I understand it as a tool, like logically understand it. And I understand the need for it, especially if you want to grow your brand or if you want to make money or whatever it is. But then on flip, I do see. You ever see the black? You ever see that show Black Mirror? Oh yeah, super creepy. But yeah, I've seen a few episodes. I kind of had to like, yeah, I had to stop. <laughs> say. Yeah. Was- so I understand the Black Mirror aspect, dystopian future that we could potentially devolve into as well if things keep going the way they're going. Because uh, we, st- I mean, at least I don't know how. I, I'm, I'm assuming we're. Uh, you're probably a little younger than me, but you know, I only got my phone when I was what. 18 20 something like that when i was in the army but the only t- first time i actually touched like an actual iphone i was probably late 20s now you got mm-hmm. kids that are you know uh, 10 9 whatever and they're on yeah. all the different platforms and are twitch and they're like that just longevity wise that it's just, it can't be healthy there's no way that's good for you in terms of longevity yeah um interesting you say that so my my background's in psychology so i do a lot of like I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I just finished one called Irresistible about mm. this how have they create this technology that is so addictive and you know <clears throat> people struggle with alcoholism, drug addiction. Well, already now we're going to have treatment clinics for someone that's addicted to social media or I think one of the I think one of the more depressing things I saw uh, I can't remember what it was in. I think it was a I think it was on Netflix. It was about social media i forget what it was called but the the uh the social dilemma surgeon, yeah the the plastic surgeons talking about like a girl taking a photo of themselves and wanting to come in and the, they want to be like this filter that's online so that mm-hmm. there are a lot of negatives to how it impacts even like i i even feel the self-esteem effects um and i'm really trying to remove that part of of creating because it, it does hold you back from putting out work that you really care about but um if yeah if we don't start to really pay attention to um, the negative implications I, I have a lot of concern for the younger generations coming up um you know i remember just being in school without phones and social media and um you get a zit on your face and you're super nervous <laughs> or just like you're progressing through puberty and you're dealing with all these things but on top of that like maybe you're not cool on social media or you don't have a big following on TikTok and that, that's how you get made fun of at school. It's just like, it's not a good place for, for younger generations. Um, and, and it does have some real negative implications. Uh, it's a powerful tool. And I'm, I've tried to make it that is like, this is a marketing tool. This isn't like, it's not real life. It's, you know, this is a, if you could actually see what a week of my life is like, it's not this like, burner sunrises and amazing views and mountains and cabins it's it's a grind it's it yeah it doesn't really you know i think there's like a new thing that some big influencers do called like filterless fridays where they try to kind of make it more relatable for people but even that it's just 
it's such a, a dramatization of, of what is real life. And um, it, it, yeah, it can be super negative, especially people that are, are just trying to come up and make a name for themselves in photography. If you don't get that gratification or, or you're not kind of reaching who you want to reach with it, it can, it can just kind of stop you in your tracks. And um, yeah, I've had to battle my, that with myself for a long time too, of just like, why am I doing this? I'm, I'm not doing it for clout and for other people's recognition, but for myself, my own art. And, and honestly, just my love of getting outside and, and hopefully inspiring people to do that as well. But what people don't see right about that sunrise from like a summit or, or something, right. Is the waking up on a cold day at one in the morning or two in the morning, Right. When it's like, oh, my God, totally. it's so nice and toasty under the sheets and I have to get up at one or two and I have to drive for two hours or three hours somewhere. And then I have to hike up someplace with all the gear that I have. And then by five thirty totally. or six, whatever it is, set up that right location and set up just so I could get that 15 minute shot. Like, yeah, you're not. Sometimes you know what plus. I mean? Yeah, you didn't just yeah. like you didn't you didn't like get out of bed and then next thing you know you're on this perfect spot. It's like you have to. There's just so much involved and so much that goes in to get that ten minutes or fifteen minutes and get that perfect shot within those 10, 15 minutes, right? Because if you can miss and you you're not in the wrong you're in the wrong location because you woke up twenty minutes or thirty minutes late, then the whole yeah. thing is screwed. And then so there's work that goes into all this shit. This isn't just like and poof you get this amazing shot. Totally. I think I have a very distinct memory that illustrates just that. So um, I got married uh, back in November to my beautiful wife, Ashley, and we went on a honeymoon. Thanks. And um, right when I got back, I had some brand work to do. So I planned a mission into Rocky Mountain. But it was just like the day after getting back from Hawaii. Uh, Woke up at 3 a.m. And like on my reel, it says like, woke up at 3 a.m. to record this seven second video. It's just like, <laughs> like, you're in there, like there's so much going on. Like it was terrible conditions. The wind was crushing me. It was like, um, I'm shooting like a piece of apparel for a brand. And like, I didn't even feel like I was dressed warm enough, especially coming straight back from Hawaii. So there was a lot of struggle for that, that particular morning just to, yeah, just for, and I think it was funny because it's just like, I made just like a seven or 10 second video that ended up doing pretty well. But it, yeah, people don't see the, I, I did make a plan for that morning, setting the alarms. I think the hardest part for me is just like getting up. Mm-hmm. It, it's actually like falling asleep, making sure I get some rest, you know, where you, you don't want to be in that mindset of like, oh, I'm going to miss the alarm. Then I'm going to miss sunrise. So the hardest part for me is getting up and then um, I put some like pretty loud, aggressive music on and then I'm like, feeling, <laughs> then I'm into it, then I'm ready to go. Um, so yeah, if you, I think that's a, it's a hard thing for me to like teach or coach people through that. But if you don't like the, the, I guess the suffer fest, the struggle fest of like, it can suck when you go out there. And that is part of the challenge, um, of getting up and out to create it. it yeah, you're not always going to get good, good conditions. Sometimes you catch it right, and, and it's amazing. Um, a lot of times you can fail. So, yeah, you have to love both sides of it. But you, We live for these moments that are just legendary, light, amazing conditions. But then you can wake up at 3 a.m. And, and the sun is socked in from some clouds. And then then you start to like really question, like, what am I doing? And the people <laughs> around you like, what are you doing? So. Yeah, you gotta. You have to have a deep passion for it, for sure. 
Yeah. And even if like, if, I don't know if, you, if you're an outdoors person, like when I was in the summertime and I kind of, I learned this the hard way you have to wait. Like if you want to do a 14 er for example, right. You have to wake up two in the morning. Cause yeah. you know, it takes you, let's say, I don't know, 30, 30, 45 minutes to get ready. You get in the car, you got anywhere from depending on, on the mountain could be hour and a half up to three hours, even more. And then you want to get off the mountain by like 12 or one. Cause then yeah. in, in the summertime, you got these crazy thunderstorms. And if you're on top of the mountain, when the, cause, and I've seen this so many times, like I'm already on my way down. I'm like maybe an hour away from the car. And I see people just coming up in my head. I'm like, yeah. dude, what are you doing? And like, I can see the clouds rolling in. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read about you in the paper, man. Like, I don't, I don't know what you're doing. Like I'm, I'm in no position yeah. to tell you what to do. You can do whatever you want, but yeah, to your point, the weather plays a part. There's lot, there's so many different factors just so you can have yeah. a successful summit or a successful photo or just have a good day outdoors. Like it can go bad quick. Totally. Um, yeah, I remember back in the spring, we, I used to, I have a production company and we did a photo shoot in the morning and then the plan was to send it and do quandary for sunset. Okay. And this was like early, this was like, there was still snow packed down. Um, and we had to shoot basically like we we're shooting a video as we went up, uh, showcasing some headlamps, shooting at the top and then kind of showing the whole journey going down. Cause that was the best time to shoot the headlamps is on the way down. And, um, like right before the summit, I just started to feel like death. Like we'd already been up all day that day. It was a real push to try to do like two projects and a 14er in a day. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was my poor planning probably like, this sounds great on paper, but, and then we get to the summit and like, I can bear, my hands are barely functioning yeah. can barely operate the camera. But that is when you like, you snap out of it. And I'm like, this isn't going to last long. Like I have to capture this. I have to make the most of this. And ended up coming away with some really strong imagery on the way down, just felt like complete death. Uh, I remember just like falling on my face, just like laying there in the snow. <laughs> just like one, like when, when will the day be over? Like, can someone just drag me back to the car? And we still had to like film and shoot on the way down. So it's, yeah, it is funny. It's um, you, yeah, you have to love it. You have to love being outside. And uh, same thing. It's just like, even just hiking is a feat and then pulling out the camera and I have three pairs of gloves on, but then I'm trying to like operate and change settings. So it's, it's a battle. It's um, it, 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 that's like, those are the fun memories, but when you're in it, it's like, Oh, like they're not paying me to get frostbite up here yeah. or altitude sickness or like, yeah. you know, there's nothing that covers up that, that pain that you feel when you're actually in the moment. But then yeah, coming away with those memories is always a powerful reminder of like, it was a struggle to get up there. And yeah, it's always cool to to pull away something strong or a really good memory or a good photo. That's, I think, what people don't understand. And, and I mean, I, I can see why just because the photographer tends to be behind the scenes, right? He's behind the lens. He's the one documenting the athlete or documenting the, the product, whatever it is, right? But like, if you take just like a Jimmy Chin, for example, like he's carrying like probably a hundred pounds worth of gear on him. He's rappelling down this mountain. He's probably, if not, he's probably almost as good as, you know, the snowboarder or climber that he's, that he's, you know, shooting, but he's behind the scenes for the most part, but he's just so absolutely skilled because again, 
he has to wake up earlier, right? He has to like get the whole thing ready. He has to stay on this, like, you know, uh, on this ledge for maybe 24 hours or whatever it is. So he has to do all this behind the scenes work that is three, four, five times harder than the actual person in front of the lens. And that's the stuff that you don't really, sometimes you get like a behind the scenes look, but I don't think they get a full understanding of, of the difficulty and, uh, and the scope of the project. Yeah, that's the grit. I mean, he's a he's an alpinist at, yeah. at heart and at core. But like, I just it, even standing on top of a fourteener trying to operate a camera, and then you double that, that and then you try to operate a camera. It's <laughs> like, and the battery dies, and then you have four pairs of gloves on, and then yeah. you have fresh battery. It's just like there are so many things that you probably don't think of, and then you maybe you come away with five photos, and you just like you have to hope and pray that like something's in focus and you you took something away but yeah uh, i recently bought his book for my brother-in-law and i really enjoyed reading it because there is there's so much more like there's so much behind the photo that um is such an integral part of like the storytelling that is often missed by the viewer or you just see something epic you're like oh that's cool um but yeah there's so much more there um super talented guy yeah i can't even imagine um what it would be like to operate cameras um on Everest or on a huge alpine climb like that. It's just such another level of dedication to both like alpinism, photography, and just being an adventurer. Yeah, he's another huge idol, I would say. Uh, Renan Ozturk, just like same same scope. It's just like, I if ever I could be like a percentage or a portion of, of what they do, I feel like I would be uh, a little bit accomplished, but yeah, they <laughs> they take adventure photography to just this whole other level. Well, I think they're extreme people, and I think extreme people create extreme things, and we're drawn to extreme things because we have this inner dialogue where, could I do that? I probably could. I like you know, like maybe I could do yeah. that. I could probably do that. No, I couldn't do that. But then they do. Like imagine being in the harshest conditions, right? Like the coldest, the driest, the hottest, the highest, whatever it is. And not only, excuse me, my throat's dry today. Um, not only being able to survive, being able to take like a Nat Geo front page type of photo while you're there. Yeah. I don't, I honestly, I, I don't think I'd be able to do that. Like just as a, just being honest with myself, like, your hands are freezing. The wind is just whipping. And then somehow you get this amazing photo. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, to that, I would say it too. It's like, you know, not only are they doing photo, a lot of those guys have gone in the direction of video. And say you're filming someone skiing down a really gnarly face and you forgot to hit record. Well, you're not going to, you can't go back. Like there's no like do overs. <laughs> there's no like, Hey, can you, can you run that one more time for me? It's all right. Right. Like there is, yeah, you have to be so dialed and, and so ready with your, your, just your craft. And also just like, you can't miss those moments. Yeah. That there'll still be split second. Um, and that's, that's truly what has elevated some of those guys' careers. It's just, uh, their ability to, yeah. And you're also like, you're worried about your safety, your, all of those things get compressed. Like, it, once you have the camera out, you, you start to forget about, am I in a safe spot? It, you know, is there an avalanche that's going to come down on me? Like, 
did I sleep enough last night? Did I eat enough today? All of that goes away when the camera's in your hand and you're hyper-focused on, on capturing a moment. So yeah, um, I think it's just wild the the video part that, and they're hauling even bigger rigs up now to do video. So um, yeah, hats off to to those guys for really taking it next level. And same as like Chris Burkhardt doing like surfing and in the Arctic or these wetsuits. Yeah. yeah, it's just, um, yeah, a lot of people don't see the behind the scenes. And I, I think that's what I've enjoyed about some of Chris's stuff is really showing the struggle um, to get those just like uh, once in a lifetime moments. Do you ever have, because I know, I know you obviously love the outdoors as a separate thing from shooting the outdoors, right? Do you ever have like moments where um, I'm assuming because I'm I'm like that as well, where I'm outdoors and I'm always taking photos because I want to document the moment. I'm like, and and also like, and your brain probably works the same. You're like, oh, that's an amazing, like you kind of frame it in your head. Like, that's a great shot. That's a great shot. Oh, I don't want to. But then like, there are moments where I'm doing that. And then my wife will kind of remind me like, be in the uh, moment for a second, you know, like leave the camera yeah. for a second. Do you have that kind of inner dialogue as well? Where like, I want to get the shot, but I also want to be present for a second. And where do I find that, that common ground between the two? Oh man, that's a huge struggle of mine. Um, and my wife will tell you the same thing. <laughs> I think she wishes I would put the camera down more and just take it in. I think as I've gotten a little more busy with my career and I just get out a little bit less. Mm -hmm. So I am really fixated on the capturing side. Um, it is a struggle. There are times where um, I wish I was better at putting the camera down just to take a mental picture or just have like a mental moment. Or sometimes I'll like shoot pre sunset and then I'll just like put the gear away. Like, like I go up to Mount Evans, I feel like I've been up there hundreds of times. And, you know, if there's really nothing crazy happening going on or something like that, that is a time for me to just like, take in the Zen of a sunset or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, totally agree. I, I wish I did that more. Um, definitely something I'm always trying to work on. It's this, this slippery balance of like, okay, I put the camera away, but now like, it's getting really good. And it's just like, <laughs> I want to get it out again, or I want to put the drone up one more time. So yeah, it's, it's a struggle, especially even in the winter when I get out to adventure. Um, I just I'm not getting outside as much. So when I am out there, it, it's it does turn into like overshooting. And um, it's a problem. It's something I'm trying to work on. Um, I also get great joy out of it. So it's that is what I love to do. Um, but yeah, there is, there is a I think a a healthy balance of like you you can stop for once and just kind of like take this in um for yourself yeah it doesn't always have to be shared or or um it doesn't always have to be for everyone else but um it's important to definitely take some in just for like i said just snap a few mental pictures or whatever you do to roll a little video in your your headspace of memory um that can be super helpful to kind of um remind you that it's okay to put the camera down for a few minutes and just take it in how cute are those goats up there on evans oh love them yeah <laughs> they love to come by the road and uh they're so curious yeah i get so mad when i see people like feeding them i'm like this is no. just like yeah please, you want to like... keep help because they can they'll they can they'll fuck you up you know <laughs> if you get too close they can ram you and like i always you know, I always try to keep a healthy distance, but like just in just 
close or far enough where I can like snap a good photo. But yeah, you always want to keep healthy. Like that's the funny thing where like people just get too. And then again, I don't know if this is for the for the for the gram, right? Where it's just like, oh, I have to get like a selfie with a bear. It's like, yeah, it's it's not gonna end well. I can tell you that's not gonna end well, you know. So yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Turons of Yellowstone. It's an Instagram no. account where they basically showcase people like it's Being exactly stupid. what you're describing. Yep, getting way too close to wildlife. I saw one up at Mount Evans. We were in the parking lot there because we just <clears throat> we did Summit Lake to the to the top. And there was a guy who got way too close to one. And I was just like, I'm pretty sure he was doing a selfie or something. So he has his back turned. And I was just waiting because I was the one filming him. I'm just like, <laughs> I want, like, I really want this to like not go well because you have to learn a lesson. And if people don't, they'll keep kind of like flirting or just kind of like they'll be on that edge of like I can get a little closer like oh like I'm gonna try and touch this animal and it'll bite you like they're still wild animals they might be yeah. cute and I have seen the babies they are really cute but yeah you, you gotta have a respect for wildlife when you're yeah. when you're in their home especially even a squirrel can, can mess you up even like this you know they'll, they'll, they'll if he wants to like he would never do that but technically speaking if the squirrel wanted to he's fast enough where he could run up to you run up and like scratch your face or something and then get up a tree and you would not be able to do anything. <laughs> so even like or, the yeah. smallest animal, Rabies you know, or something, then yeah. totally. Yeah. Yeah. You um, want to keep healthy. Yeah, there's, there's, there's that famous, um, yeah, there's a famous, uh, you probably seen this. I think I'm pretty sure this was Mexico and these girls are out hiking and there's a black bear just standing on, on its, on its, on its two legs. And you saw that one. And he's just like, he's almost like humping the girl or something or, or something. He's like super close up, like right. <laughs> and she somehow it, with all the fear of like a black bear literally on top of her and she's got the, her, her back to the bear. She manages to take a, a, a picture, a phone out of the, of the pocket and she takes a selfie with the bear. Luckily, miraculously, nothing happened. But like, Instead of thinking like, "Ooh, I have to figure out a defense system here or something," because I, I have this my my back to the, she's like, "Oh no, selfie time!" <laughs> and she and she snaps the selfie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how that's the first. I would be terrified, and that's not the first place my mind would go. But yeah, that's um, people do need to have better respect for both our outdoor spaces and wildlife. I don't know where like the lack of even just like common sense, like just kind of falls on the wayside for people. And and totally, yeah, you will, those people will learn the hardest lessons and it's kind of like sad to see that, but yeah, it's their home. Same. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Respect, respect their space, respect. Yeah. Just even just like the idiocracy of like carving in an Aspen tree. It's like, Oh, oh I, I hate that. It's just like, no one cares about your initials and you literally, like, <laughs> we love our trees here. We love fall. Like yeah. you're harming something that just, it did nothing to you. So yeah, it's, that's always something I'm a big proponent of is, is leave no trace and, and trying to, um, it's important to protect places. There's a lot of people that have, uh, generate a lot of clout based on like tagging a location and, um, being so informative. Um, I think there's a fine line of like keeping a place special and quiet if it if it is special to you, um, while not just like blowing it up and being disrespectful. So 
sometimes I'll tag locations. Sometimes I'll just tag a general area. But um, yeah, I have learned over the years, I used to tag all my locations, but I, I do want to kind of, there are some spots where I don't want it to always be crowded or, or I don't want people feeding the animals or um, vandalizing certain spots. So uh, I think we all have, some creatives have these secret spots. Yeah. So I was just going to ask, what are your favorite spots that you're willing to share slash reveal in Colorado? Is there like one or two spots you're like these absolute favorites that maybe like most people just don't go to? Oh, um, well, just purely based on accessibility, the San Juans, and it's not like a specific location, but like, it's so far from Denver and um, super special down there. I've done a lot of hiking and backpacking down there. Um, so I think purely because of how far it is, it keeps it special. Um, I've also had some unique opportunities through like the tourism projects I do that take me to these just like off the cusp little mountain towns. And, um, it's always crazy to see like how a gold mining town kind of morphed and evolved to where it is today. Um, even areas around the sand dunes, uh, the San Luis Valley, there are these little pockets that are are less discovered in Colorado. Um, so the San Juans is up there for me. You know, Rocky Mountain is already so popular. So um, if more people go there, then then so be it. But it, it's a beautiful place. It's very accessible, very easy to reach. Um, there are some places in the San Juans that are starting to get um, over visited, like you know, I'll mention a few trails, Blue Lakes, Ice Lakes, Island Lake. They're not secret anymore, but they are going to trend in that direction of like, you need a permit now to visit because simply because people, human waste, and we we can't take care of these places. So uh, this this past summer, we did a um, four pass loop in Aspen. Um, Amazing trail, super, just amazing views. And um, it's like a, almost a 30 mile loop. So that is another thing that keeps uh the crowds down is not everyone's just gonna like go approach 30 miles like eight thousand feet of elevation gain so um that is something we're trying to get yeah wow yeah the big one yeah you go i think up basically yeah via the name up and over four passes um so we are starting to kind of lean into these more challenging hikes that put us in more remote areas because we know like not a lot of tourists are going to make it here. They they might want to or think they can day hike something, but um, yeah, those have become a little more special to us as these uh, larger backpacking trips that we tr- we try to plan and go on in the summer. Have you ever had any uh, encounters with with wildlife while doing these backpacking trips? Uh, I'm sorry, can you say it again? Have you ever had any uh, wildlife encounters while doing any of these backpacking trips? Um. It's funny. I've lived out here like 10 years. Um, I think I've seen like only like a handful of bear, probably like a dozen moose um, just from afar. I've never really had anything too crazy happen. Um, Recently, this is kind of crazy. We stayed at um, a cabin property in Salida and uh, my wife was walking our dog just around. They have like a nature trail around the property and, and I was not with them. I was shooting some photos and in the distance, she saw her first mountain lion. So oh, wow. um, that could be pretty intimidating. You know, I think there was a national forest, like a boundary fence, but very jumpable. 
for the mountain lion. They could, <laughs> yeah. It could have turned and it could have gone a whole other way. Uh, um, that would be something where I would kind of freeze in my tracks. I did have one other weird experience up in Vail um, where I was shooting some astrophotography and I could, I, I, every, like the hair on my neck went up and you, you do have like a sixth sense when you're out there. Well, I went home to review some of the photos and, and sure enough in like one of the photos, there's like a pair of eyes, like staring not too far away from me. So I remember like I put on some really loud music in my car and just kind of like packed up and left. But um, thankfully, yeah, I've had very little, um, like strange or crazy experiences with wildlife. I definitely like to just like, uh, examine from afar and, and just kind of take it in when, once I see, see them. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the two, right? The mountain lions and the bears more, more bears for me, but definitely mountain lion as well. Um, I had a hike that I did a few weeks back and it was a little remote, you know, I don't know. I was the only one on the entire mountain, the whole, like, I only saw one person right as I was coming down. Um, but other than that, it was kind of like, you had to like park off the, off the road and there weren't really, yeah, there weren't, there wasn't anyone there. And I, like you said, like, I, I didn't see anything, but I had this weird, eerie feeling at yeah. least, I don't know, halfway up or something that I'm kind of being, there, there's something out there. And I, I rarely, I've, you know, I've hiked a ton here. I've only had this one other time. And it's just like, like you said, it's, you can't really explain it. You just feel like there's something out there, especially, and it could be my mind playing tricks on me. Like I'm the only one out on the mountain. There's no one here. You know, it's kind of like desolate, whatever. Yeah. So it could be my mind playing tricks, but I just felt like there was something there. I couldn't like substantiate totally. it, but just a feeling. Yeah. And then you, you get kind of jumpy and then there's like a deer, like there's a deer. <laughs> yeah. Like there's typically like a predator out there too. So yeah, you never know. Or like a squirrel like cracks a branch and you like jump off the trail. So yeah, it's <laughs> but yeah, you still gotta be alert. Um, and there are some there's some remote areas in Colorado. I think I've spent a little more time um on a few trips in Montana lately, and it's interesting to compare that wilderness to, to what we have here in Colorado. There are just stretches of just um, completely remote wilderness there that lead into the Canadian Rockies and, um, you know, grizzly bears are way more like the guide we went with. He has a pistol on his, on his hip and everyone has bear spray. So it is way more like a real danger there. I think the way I explain it to people that visit is there's a lot of room for the wildlife to roam in Colorado. They can smell humans they know where we are and where we like to um, be based on their keen sense of smell. So I think there's a little more room for them to spread out here. Whereas when you go to Montana, you'll, it's like in Glacier, especially you'll pass people and it's like telephone. It's like, there's a grizzly bear. There's some grizzly bears and they'll be like half a mile off the trail, but it's like, it's exciting, but also, yeah. Terrifying. Like, yeah. You gotta be, you gotta watch yourself. You gotta be aware of your surroundings and, or people that hike with two headphones in, it's like, I, I hate to like say it to them, but like you will be that next news article that uh, <laughs> someone got attacked on a trail. So yeah, try to yeah be aware of, of what's going on for sure. Does that give you pause when you're like you're on the trail, right? And the people coming back tell you, "Ooh, there's there's a grizzly about a quarter of a mile up," and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like I'm walking towards a grizzly. Is this a good idea for me to do? And like for people who may not know, like so essentially, you I think and I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think 
if I'm not mistaken, grizzlies kind of only exist Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, roughly, maybe in the Pacific Northwest a little bit. I'm not sure. And grizzlies tend to be the most aggressive. Like black bears are pretty much in every state in the in the U.S. And for the most yeah. part, they're not super aggressive. They, they, they they'll kind of run away. Grizzlies. I think because they have to kind of fend for food because they're not on the coast, they're more inland in, in those few states. So they tend to be like very aggressive sure. and you don't, you don't want to piss off a grizzly. Is that about right? I wish I had more bear knowledge <laughs> for you. Um, I would say that's pretty accurate. I don't know. I, I definitely know Montana and North of there is a big concentration of them, but also um, just like making some noise as you go down a trail, like you don't ever want to sneak up on a mama bear with cubs or a mountain lion with little, uh, little mountain lion cubs too. It's just like, same with a moose, like they can get really aggressive if, if you're yeah. not even just talking while you're on the trail or if, that's the thing I'll do if I'm by myself is, is make some noise. Um, just so whatever might be up ahead, hears my, my presence and knows that I'm coming. That's a good thing to, uh, just keep in mind while you're, even if you're adventuring alone is just like, yeah, make some, make yourself known a little bit. Um, so you don't kind of have a, a really scary situation break out in front of you. Um, in glacier, they, they do, they do the same thing. They tend to stay away from where the humans are. They're, they're usually busy eating or foraging. Um, but same thing in that park. It's it's a very real danger, and it's a high popular. It's like a really uh, heavily visited park. So um, even on the really simple, like uh, maybe I would consider it like a Dream Lake trail. Everyone's got a can of bear spray. It's like yeah. it's not going to happen here. But um, as you start to hit the backpacking routes and and get out there a little more, um, the the probability of that happening goes goes way up. Yeah. And, and you, you were talking about, I don't think people understand how huge moose are. Oh we yeah. Saw, we saw, we, I saw a couple uh, doing the 14ers. They are humongous. They are so big. It's not like a deer. It's like three times the size of a deer. It's huge. Totally. Yeah. But, but luckily they can't zigzag. So as long as you're like, you find a tree, <laughs> you should be good. Cause they pretty much just run straight. Sure. Yeah. I remember <laughs> driving out of Indian Peaks Wilderness one night and rounding a, a dark corner and just right in the road was a huge bull moose. And I felt like if it wanted to, it would just like step on the hood of the car and just yeah. like crush my vehicle. Basically. Like, yeah, you don't want to, that's nothing you want to hit with your car or be in, in the way of when they have, especially when they have their, their babies around, they, they can be extremely aggressive. So yeah, keep your distance. Um, keeping an eye on them. And usually they're the same thing. They're in the swamp or they're kind of off in the distance, but yeah, um, you can get to a section of trail where if there's a, if the animals on the trail, you either need to wait or, or make a safe path around. Um, especially in the case of a moose. Yeah. That's, that'd be scary to get charged by it. They're like a ton. I don't even know how much a, a moose weighs, but they're yeah, huge. There's yeah. a video of one chasing a bear in Alaska. I, th I think I saw this a year ago. And the bear was just not like the bear was just running away. So if the bear's running away from the moose, most likely you should be running away from it too. And that thing was, was running like the moose is fast bear too, by the way, totally. so the bear managed to get away, but yeah, I don't want to be anywhere. That's why I feel like Alaska is really kind of like the last frontier. I have a friend now who, who moved there and um, I've been seeing like just his Instagram reels and stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's, 
like Colorado is, is wilderness, but that's wilderness, wilderness. You know, that's that next level wilderness that you probably yeah. kind of mentioned in, in Montana a little bit too. Totally. Very remote place. I've never been. Alaska's on my list as well. But yeah, um, you need to respect uh, both your your own skill sets, but also like the dangers that can be out there um, big time in term, and especially like communicating, letting people know when you're leaving or when you'll be back. But yeah, um, very remote place, very wild. So you've seen something that for me has been on my bucket list since essentially I was a kid. I can't even remember maybe five, six, seven, eight, like super young. And I've yet to see it. And 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 you shot it beautifully, which is the the Northern Lights, the Aurora Borealis. Yeah. What's A, like, where did you shoot it? And then B, I guess, like, as far as seeing it in real life versus seeing it on, you know, social media where it could potentially be like filtered and enhanced, stuff like that, like what it looked like. Oh, man, it gives me chills talking about it. Um, I'm a big lover of like astrophotography and Northern Lights super special thing to see. Like, I think I've taken people out in Colorado to see uh, the Milky Way for the first time. And that's a profound experience on some people to begin with. You you feel so small and minute and even your problems, like everything you might have on your mind just kind of melts away. Well, uh, I would put the Northern Lights at this other echelon of that. I was super thankful to go on a workshop uh, in Norway with two huge idols of mine, uh, Nate, Nate in the Wild, and, and Autumn Schrock, who goes by the Instagram name of Ot Pops, and they host uh, a Norway workshop where um, it's a seven-day workshop, and a big part of that is chasing the Northern Lights. Um, it And why I say chasing is people will go there for 10, 15, 20 days and not even get a glimpse um, at them at all. So it it does become, it, I'm sure it puts a ton of pressure on them because they have people paying money and you don't just like push a button and you get to see them. It's, yeah. uh, you need a bunch of things to line up. The, the KP rating needs to be high enough. Um, you need clear skies, which the weather in Norway, especially in the winter, it can be just complete shit. Uh, we were there during like a winter cyclone and, um, you know, the whole group starts to feel this like impotence of like, are we going to get a glimpse? Are we going to get a chance to see them? So uh, one night we headed out because the KP rating was very high. And this was probably like night six of of five nights of this going out. Just even if you just get like a little glimpse through the clouds, you feel like, oh, this could be really, really cool. And the weather was was bad by us. So they they drove us an hour and a half to a, a different fjord. Uh, where it was supposed to be clear skies with with a higher KP rating, and um, honestly, hard for me to describe. It's it gives me the chills just thinking back to it. Um, it it, it kind of relates back to that question about you get there and and it starts happening, and you're just so enamored by um, the beauty that our planet is able to create. You know, this is basically the the stratosphere of the planet, like defending us from. Um, basically flares of, of, I believe it's from the sun. So, um, and the, the colors are just out of this world. You get green and purple and blue. Um, so it, it's hard to describe even over audio. Um, if people are curious, yeah, definitely jump on my Instagram. You can scroll back and, and see some of my, my Norway photos, but then it, it kept happening and the storm was the, the Aurora storm was getting more intense. So 
I started to sink into kind of making some creative photography with it. And um, it, it's different than shooting astrophotography. They kind of uh, burst above you in, in basically like these ribbon type um, Aurora tails. And you just feel so it, it like almost makes me want to cry uh, rethinking about the memories because it's just such a powerful experience. Um, and everyone's getting really excited and, and you're snapping lots of photos or making a time lapse. And um, yeah, to just like sit there and, and take that in. I think if if there's one thing that I think people should experience in their lives, it's it's going to see the, the Northern Lights. It was it had a really profound impact on me and uh, super thankful that we got a chance to see them and experience that. So um, yeah, very crazy experience, super humbling. And um, yeah, just, I, it's hard to describe. It's, it's out of this world. Yeah. You just like, you don't even think that our plants capable of, of creating such beauty. Even if you're not a spiritual person, would you say that is as close to a spiritual experience as one can have? Totally. Yeah. It humbles you. It, um oh for sure it's just like it's just kind of like how is such beauty possible like you know maybe i can liken it to how i've been to lots of concerts and shows and like laser beams and and all the special effects yeah. all of that but it's like this is a natural phenomenon so it's very it feels very spiritual and there's a lot of um norwegian folklore they used to be afraid of the northern lights because it, it's just so like they didn't know what it was or how to explain it or how to digest what was happening above them. So um, there was a lot of fear about the lights. Um, so yeah, very spiritual indeed. I could see how people back in the day, you know, whatever, hundreds or maybe thousands of years ago, they would think this is like, I don't know, either good or bad or however they wanted to interpret it at the time. And now that we have the science, we kind of know, okay, this is the reason, but like, all of a sudden the sky is turning green and you're like, what the fuck? You know? And you're like in your yeah. little village with 10 other people and someone did something bad that day. You're like, Oh, this is a ominous sign. Like something bad is about to happen. I could totally. definitely, I could definitely see that happening. Or yeah. If, if the, the science they know is like an, a meteor came here and destroyed all the dinosaurs. It's just like, it's such a like a crazy space phenomenon that if yeah if you don't have a good understanding of of and they didn't they didn't know the science and the 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 background behind it absolutely it would be i would say terrifying in its own right yeah, <laughs> yeah. i mean that that could that i could see that as them seeing god in some form trying to relay some sort of a message and then the village elder would probably just like take that and okay you know he would form something in his head we should be doing a b c d we look god is mad or god is happy or god is whatever oh yeah 100 percent. i would that, and again that's totally it's been on my bucket list since i was like five or six so i'm, I'm really hoping to kind of catch a glimpse of it in the next year or two either in norway or yeah. canada or alaska or or somewhere it's good, on, it's, i wish you good luck it's very profound and i hope you get get a chance to see them yeah man me too all right before i before i let you go so if i if when kind of scrolling through your instagram and on your website too you've worked with a lot of really cool brands um some of which i use daily actually um nice. what if if you're a kind of start you know if you're a photographer starting out trying to get more commercial bids, right? Like what is the process? Like, do they have to rack up those Instagram numbers and, and put a portfolio together? 
Do they have to reach out to the brands? Do they have to wait till the brands reach out to them? What is the process of starting to link up with some of these type of brands? Totally. I'm slowly putting out um, and developing some educational material um, that talks about just this. So um, I think an important piece is having a portfolio and I think it should be separate than Instagram. Um, and I think building that portfolio is just getting out and creating a, a routine around your creative endeavors. I think for me, it just started with like, these are the things I have with me when I'm out shooting like a cliff bar, a tripod, a backpack. And then I, those are the things I started to kind of showcase in some of my imagery that wouldn't be like the focus of my shoots. I was out there to shoot adventure and landscape work, but how can I mix this into the imagery that I'm already creating? Um, so I think it's important to have a, a good uh, portfolio built out. If you go to approach brands and are only sending them your Instagram page, I think that only gets you so far unless you have a huge following, then they kind of want to tap into your audience, which is, is a little bit of a slippery slope for me. I think it's a matter of what you want to do. If you want to be more on the commercial end, um, it, it is just like a lot of connection and networking, you know, even just you, you can use Instagram as a tool, sending the DM, asking for the right email you can spend a lot of wasted time on not sending your stuff to the right place or the right person. So there's a lot of tools out there to make sure you're getting like the marketing manager's email um, or, or just like uh, basically doing more research on the brand and company before you just go like spamming people with, Hey, I'm a photographer. I'd love to work with you. Well, take that a step further. Say I'm going on a backpacking trip in Glacier National Park. We'd love to showcase your GPS unit while we're out there. And basically the more you um, build out the creative idea, you're just looking for like a green light for them. And then the added bonus of that they see that you're talented, you might have an audience or that you just put out good work. Um, that's a good recipe for, for getting some positive responses. So um, portfolio, making sure you're reaching out to the right person, uh, the old send a DM, you can try that. It's working less these days, but um, doing networking um, and just kind of getting yourself out there to try to basically bump into the right person who makes those decisions, that kind of thing. So even if you, let's say you don't really have a a following and you're just kind of starting out, would you say doing free work in the beginning is, is a good pathway? So for example, if I want to work with some energy cliff bar type company, I reach out to them. Hey, I already, I, I love the product. I already use it. I'm going to do, I'm going to do this hike and I'm just going to shoot either a video or photos and you can use this for free. And then if you like it, you know, maybe we could form some sort of relationship and then you can use me later on, but start kind of building out those relationships with the companies that you like from the onset. Totally. You can take that a step further. And it's, and another thing too, is like, maybe don't start with cliff bar, like start local. So small. Like, yeah, say there's like a Boulder energy bar company and then like get out there, shoot some, I call it spec work, basically what you're talking about, free work, uh, wrap that into like a nice proposal or putting in a link on your website and say, hey, like I made these 10 images, they're free for your company to use, but I uh, have X, Y, and Z trips coming up or have some cool adventures coming up. Can we continue the conversation about how we can make more assets or content like this. So um, starting small, not really reaching out to the big, big brands right away, but but yeah, doing a lot of spec work can be really important to 
for yourself to build that portfolio, but also gets you a foot in the door. And you'd be surprised, like the, the more local, smaller companies, they really appreciate that, but also they might have a budget to then start paying you for it. So um, I think it's important to definitely build the portfolio in the beginning by doing the spec work and then understanding your value, um, trying to figure out what you might charge the brand or the company. And then, yeah, trying to turn that co that conversation into a, a paid project. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times people want to, what's that thing? The, 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 the cart before the horse, like they want to, jump and already be yeah. professional and get the money and do everything you have to realize, like, especially if you're starting out, like there is a process. And like you said earlier, like, because it's such a saturated market, like you have to have some sort of a differentiator. And if you don't have that initially, that's completely fine, but you're going to have to go, you're going to have to hustle and you're going to have to go through that process in order to get to that position where then once you get there, you're like, okay, now I can start charging XYZ. Now I can start building a brand with my name and so on and so forth. Totally. Um, I think, and also spinning the, being the, the person on the other end of the computer, like, you know, Cliff Bar might get a thousand DMs a day. So that's why I say to kind of go more local and smaller, which might turn into more opportunity for you rather than feeling like, okay, why aren't the big brands getting back to me? Well, you might not be at their level yet, they might appreciate the free content, but it's not going to turn into anything paid yet because you might just you might not have the portfolio to back up uh, whatever you're trying to charge for a shoot. So start small and and keep building on those baby steps, but also like the water bottle that's with you on your hike or the hiking poles or all these other like accessory products that um, maybe they just come with you on your adventures, and then you just write like a passionate. E email that says, Hey, I use your gear all the time. I like your brand. This could be a really good partnership for us to both benefit. You get some assets. I get to continue getting outside and this works for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome advice. Frankie, this was, this was a lot of fun, man. I really appreciate yeah. your time today. You want to get out and hike ever, Roy? Let's Dude, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Um, where, I, I mean, you, you kind of already like dropped it a few times, but where can people find you? What are the best places? You know, sure. plug. do the plug right on. Um, I'm, I'm on social media. The handles free water, the E's are threes. So it's FR three, three water. Um, I'm on Twitter. Um, my main website, I, I operate a few different websites. It's called frankieboyphotography.com. If you want to order prints or or book me through there, feel free to reach out. Uh, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram. I love to link up with people, grab a coffee, get out and hike, starting to get into climbing more. So um, yeah, my main channels, Instagram, Twitter. Um, and yeah, I really appreciate your time for having me on here today. But yeah, check out my work over there on Instagram and Twitter. And I will see you guys out on the trail, hopefully. Yeah, Ben, this was awesome and a lot of fun. And as always, I'll be sure to link everything, all the links in the show notes, make it easy for everyone to find it. Uh, this was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate you, Roy. Thanks a lot for reaching out.